Thank you, Jim. Thank you for the music and Brother Bill. Getting better as the days go on. You're doing great. I think that face shield helped you out. Made you play better. Yeah. Well, good morning, church. So good to have you out this morning. Thanks for choosing to worship with us this morning. Thank you to our guests who have come to visit us. We're grateful to have you here. We pray that today, this morning, will be a blessing for you. And uh, we'd love to have a chance to get to know you and uh, and love on you. Speaking of loving on you, I hear Dick and Alice's house got sold this week. And so we just have a few weeks left to love on them before they move to Vegas. So just want to make sure everyone knows that and make sure you reach out to them and extend our love to them um, while we have the chance to, right? We're going to miss you. I told Alice, I'm like, well, we got to start praying for your replacement now. We got someone to fill those seats. So. Okay, well, we'll just go knock on your house after you guys move out and invite them to church. That's a good idea. <laughs> Amen. Okay, we're going to be in John chapter 18 this morning. John chapter 18. We started John 18 last week. Uh, I am an expositor preacher, so I what I like to do is start at the beginning of a gospel or a book or a letter. And I begin in chapter 1, verse 1, and we just work our way through it. And we've been working our way through John for a couple years now. And we're coming to the end of it. And uh, we are now at the point here in John chapter 18 where Jesus has been arrested in the garden, has been hauled off to Annas' house, the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. You've seen Caiaphas, and now he's at Pilate, the Roman uh, ruler. And the Jews or the religious leaders of the time are trying to convince Pilate to send him to death by crucifixion. And that's where we found ourselves ending last week. And we're going to be, this week we're going to be starting off in verse 36, just to kind of refresh where we've been. Jesus is in front of Pilate, and Pilate, the Jews have brought Jesus before Pilate and said, he's, he's a king, he's trying to usurp authority over, over Rome. By being a king, he's going to lead an insurrection. And they accused him of that. And um, so Pilate asked him, are you a king? And his response here is found in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then. Pilate asks, You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We talked last week how a blessing, what a great blessing it is to know that we can stand on absolute truth revealed to us by our Creator, that He has revealed absolute truth and it's found in his written and preserved word that he's promised to preserve for us. And ultimately, Jesus is the embodiment of God's truth in the flesh. Jesus testified in one of his great I am statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We can stand on absolute truth. And today in society, we, this is last week's sermon, I'm kind of repreaching it, I guess. But today in society, we, there, our society stands with Pilate in verse 38. And says, what is truth? There is no such thing as absolute truth. Everyone gets to define truth in their own way. 
and we saw and talked about the fruits of what a society that has not a moral basis of absolute truth does and that denigrates and we are in the throes of it right now and that's why we as Christians stand and we pray for our country we pray for our leaders we we pray that God would grant revival in our hearts beginning with his people and that he would influence our land so this truth is wonderful and I I came across this this week as I was studying uh, for the for my message for the sermon and this is from Jerry Bosenecker he's my kind of spiritual father I would say in a sense I was uh, saved and I felt the call that the God was calling me to be in the, in the pastorate and it was in a small Baptist church in uh, southern Utah where my family uh, we moved to this small church plant and I was underneath this uh, uh, senior pastor and he was showing me the ropes of pastoring but I was not trained in expositional preaching on how you take God's word and you allow the writer of scripture to or you convey the message that the writer's trying to convey you're not trying to read your own interpretation into it that if this is truly inspired words from God that we'd allow the word of God to speak for itself and that was my true call but I wasn't trained in that and so I had this concordance that if you looked up the word love it would list all the verses that had love the word love in it and so I'd do these sermons where I just would go through and I'd pick all the sermons that had the word love in it, but I did not consider the context in which those verses were in, who was writing it, any of that stuff, and I was, uh, I was mishandling the word of God. And there was this learned gentleman who wrote his own commentary for the Gospel of John, who I, what I reference on a weekly basis as we've been walking through. John, who was sitting in the back, and... He was quite offended at what I was <laughs> doing, and now I was handling the Word of God, but I think I've shared with you guys before, he, he didn't get upset at me. He didn't just go to the next church and stop coming and be upset. He, he instead saw someone that needed help and needed some guidance, and so he became my friend, and he earned my trust, and he began to show me and give me books on how to properly handle the Word of God, and he transformed my ministry, and so I looked to him as a as a spiritual father that God used in my life that radically changed the course of events in my life. I find myself here. Praise be to God. So glad we're here. But he says in his commentary, and I, he doesn't reference anybody else, so I'm assuming this is from him, but it might be from someone else. He just normally references when he does, so I'm, I'm going to attribute it to him. He said, absolute truth. Whatever true remains true, right? That is, as a Christian, that is the comfort that we can stand on. We don't get to define truth. We don't have to define truth. God has defined truth. It is in Jesus. It is in him and his revelation. Even if no one believes it, it is true, right? And whatever, on the contrary, whatever is false remains false, even if everyone believes it. And I thought that was a good quote especially in the time of that we're in in society where it seems like as long as everyone agrees to it it's true it's not the case we stand on God's truth we contend for the faith once delivered to the saints as Jude would write that is our call so going on starting this week's message right going on we find in verse 38 through 40 uh, Pilate trying to get out of assigning death to Jesus in verse 38 after he had said this he went out to the Jews again and told them I find no grounds for charging him he says look I 
do not find any grounds for sending Jesus to death. He's done nothing wrong. He hasn't done anything in secret. He has, he's, con, he's been public. He's displayed these miracles, his power. He's demonstrated his deity, his power over creation. Uh, he's proclaimed himself to be the I am of, of the Old Testament. Uh, Yahweh, Jehovah God. He's, he's claimed those titles. He's, he's done nothing wrong. He, and the, the Jews bring him to Pilate and says he's trying to be a king, trying to do insurrection. Jesus, Pilate asks him, are you a king? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so Pilate sees him as a religious leader, not someone who's going to usurp political authority. And he says to the Jewish leaders, I find no grounds for charging him. And this is how he tries to get out of it in verse 39. You have a custom that I released one prisoner to you at the Passover. So we know this is the Passover festival. The time of the Passover has come. Jesus is ultimately the Passover lamb. He's fulfilling that Old Testament um, type that's found in the Old Testament of the Passover lamb in Exodus. He sees in this time the Jews uh, have this custom with, with the Romans that, that the Romans would release one political prisoner at this time of Passover to kind of keep the peace. And so he uses this opportunity to present Jesus a way to, to release him. And so what he does is he, he holds Jesus up to this man named Barabbas. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus or Barabbas? He says, you have a custom to release one prisoner, so do you, do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews, which is Jesus? And they shouted back, not this man but Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Your translation might say robber. But he was an insurrectionist. He was against Rome. He, he led an insurrection, most likely. We don't know a whole lot about him. But we know that he led an insurrection and he was also a murderer. We know that because Luke records that same, this same time, the same uh, conversation that Pilate is giving. And Luke describes him in this way, Luke 23, 19. He had been thrown into prison for a rebellion that he had taken place in the city and for murder. So here we have a thug. One who has murdered, one who has led insurrection. We have a comparison here, don't we? Of this Barabbas that Pilate brings to the Jewish people and says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews who has done nothing, who has openly Heal the sick, restore sight to the blind, deliver people, open deaf ears, heal the lame, the lepers, raise people from the dead. Do you want me to release him or this rebel, this leader of rebellion, this murderer? It's Barabbas that is guilty. It is Barabbas that deserves execution and crucifixion under Roman law. And we see Jesus, who is completely innocent, who is the spotless Lamb of God, without sin. And Pilate says, there's no way. These people have to be reasonable. That Jesus should go free. But what is, do they say? Give us Barabbas. 
give us Barabbas. And I often wonder, and the scripture doesn't say there's no uh, extra biblical historical narrative that talks a little bit more about Barabbas or what happened to Barabbas after this, uh, the Gospels and uh, record what, uh, how he, he, he was let go by Pilate. We don't know exactly what happened, so this is just me thinking about what the next step for Barabbas would be, and I just wonder, I wonder if he was in the crowds watching Jesus on the cross for those three hours of darkness. And I wonder if Barabbas ever thought, that should have been me. That was my cross. I deserved to be there. But instead, it was Jesus. But that's the gospel message, is it not? It should have been me. I should have took the penalty. I should have took God's wrath for my sin. But Jesus paid for it on the cross. We have, in Scripture, we have God's entire plan of salvation revealing what happened and the reason why we have evil and we have sin and we have death and hunger and all the natural evils that we encounter every day in this world because of sin that's come upon the earth. And we have the, the rescue mission that he's revealed to us through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we know Jesus has come to pay the penalty, that he paid the ransom, he atoned for sin for mankind on the cross. But we also have the end in Revelation, the, the part that hasn't happened yet. And we know that there's coming because it's revealed to us in Scripture, in Revelation specifically. This was revealed to John while he was on the island of Patmos. And he's given the vision of the end times. And there's coming a time, according to Revelation 21, where all those who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all those who are not covered under the, the spotless Lamb's shed blood, will be judged. Revelation 21, 5 through 8. So what I'm saying here is we see Barabbas as deserving to die and hopefully all of us know of our sinful condition and our, our, what we truly deserve outside of God's mercy and grace. And it's displayed here in this judgment, this coming time, who those who are on front of the blood. And then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. This is the Lord Jesus saying, write this down, John. These words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega. That's the Greek Alpha, the beginning to the end. I will free, freely give to the thirsty from the spring of water of life. For all those who receive the gift of salvation, can be, can, it can be found in Jesus. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now look at verse 8. He's given us this gift of salvation. He's paid the penalty, and, but all those who are not written are found in the Lamb's Book of Life. But the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, those are all Bar Bar Barabbases, right? Those are the guys that we all can say, yeah, we, they deserve God's judgment. But then he gets us all, and all liars, Anyone in here have not told a lie? In the eyes of a holy God, that is how holy and separate our God is. A lie is enough to be judged 
our God eternally if you're not found in the blood of Jesus. Their, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, that final separation of us being separated from the presence of our God. All those who are in Christ will dwell with our God and be with our God. We will be his people and God will dwell amongst us. But all those who are not, this is what is coming. And it's everyone who are not written in the Lamb's Book of God, who have not received and believed the gospel message that Jesus has come to take your penalty for you. Jesus went to the cross for Barabbas. He went to the cross for you so that you would not have to be partake of this judgment. We are all Barabbases in the eyes of a holy God. And I pray that everyone in the room this morning can say, that should have been me. Jesus died for me. And we know that this is an eternal punishment. We see that in Scripture. It's an eternal punishment. And all those who are not written in love, it's an eternal punishment for them. And our hearts break for those who are not in Jesus. And that's why us as a church, it's so important for us to go out and proclaim the gospel, the good news, to be the light, the salt, to share the good news to anyone and everyone who will listen. But we know Jesus paid that penalty once and for all because Jesus was eternal God. He was 100% man, but yet 100% God. He paid that eternal penalty one time because he was an eternal being. You and I are not. So to pay an eternal punishment, we must pay it for eternity. Jesus paid that penalty for us once and for all. That is the good news. For those who believe and receive Jesus will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will be covered by his atoning blood. And in that... In this new life, this being born again. I remember as a kid, I used to make fun of, oh, born agains, right? But it's such a crucial doctrine to the Christian to be born from above, to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, to be given a new heart, to be a new creature in Christ. We are born with this heart that sins and, and separated from God. And in, in Christ, as we believe and receive it, the scriptures declare that we're born again. We are made new. We're given a new heart. And we talked about it in Sunday school this morning, how the final consummation of God's salvation plan is glorification. And we will, our bodies will be physically glorified. We will no longer struggle with our sickness, our sin. Praise God. That'll be a good day. And we'll be glorified. Have eternal dwelling bodies. But in the meantime, on this earth, we're in this process, process of sanctification. We're being transformed from our old person to more and more in the image of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. This new heart desires to be fed spiritually through the Word and be a proclamation of preaching and, and sharing and, and, uh, with one another and proclaiming the gospel. All those things are feeding the new heart. And, and the Scriptures call us to kill off the old man, to put the old man to death. And that's the struggle we're in now, right? Paul talks about it in Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. We're given new life in Jesus. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Eternal life begins the moment we receive and believe on Jesus. It begins this process where God begins to transform us through the enabling power given to us through the Spirit. 
Romans 6, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply, right? Paul is answering the common rebuttal for us as Christians who say salvation is by grace through faith and not of works of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift given to us. It is salvation is paid for us by Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. When world religions say you must do, you must do, you must do, Jesus says it is done. It's by grace, and then the rebuttal is, so what? We can just go on living like the devil? It doesn't matter because we believe on Jesus, but the, this teaching that's found again and again in Scripture, of this new life, this new heart, this regeneration, this empowering by the Holy Spirit to transform us is often not shared with those who are asking that question. And Paul says that. He's answering that rebuttal. Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply or it may abound? The answer is absolutely not. We are children of the king. He's called us to reflect his goodness, his holiness in this life and in this world. We are his ambassadors. He's empowered us through the spirit and given us the, the rule book where we can live a life that's pleasing and honoring him to reflect his goodness to those around us. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's killed sin. We're no longer in bondage to it. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptized, we think of often just the physical baptism of the water, but he's, this baptized means full immersion. We're fully immersed into Christ Jesus. We're fully immersed into his death. We died with him. Our old self died with him and we're raised just as he came out of the grave three days later. We're raised to new life. The baptism, we're Baptists, right? We like to baptize in full immersion, full water. But we're demonstrating what has already happened to us by believing and receiving Jesus. We're dead. Our old self is dead with Jesus, and we're raised again in newness of life in Jesus. We have the promises given of eternal life because what Jesus has done, we're baptized. We're fully immersed into his death. Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too may we walk in newness of life. He's empowered us. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness, Peter writes, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's in First Peter. He's called us that we too may walk in newness of of life he's empowered us to do so and so the story of Barabbas Jesus of Barabbas continues for us today in this present state that we are in if you're in Jesus if you're not in Jesus this morning I pray that today would be the day when you call out to Jesus for salvation scripture declares if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead if you believe that Jesus pay that penalty for you if you receive it and believe it and trust in that alone scriptures declare you will be saved you will be made born again you will be given that new heart by the spirit of God the good the best news that was shared with me some 15 years ago now was that I didn't have to do anything to earn it it was given to me as a gift it's called grace unmerited love 
extended to me. To demonstrate his love, he went to the cross. The Father allowed the Son to pay my penalty for me. Christ willingly went to the cross. He had the power to call down legions of angels, the scriptures declare, but he went. He despised the shame. Looking forward to the day when many in the world would hear the gospel message and believe and receive eternal life. And so I pray that's you today, and if it's not, call out to Jesus. I'd, if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to share with you from Scripture this beautiful gospel message that I just can't get over, how good God is, this beautiful message that this world desperately needs. But this story of Barabbas and Jesus goes on, because ultimately what, what happened there was Jesus was presented as the Messiah, right? The Roman leader sees this is the king of the Jews. I find no fault in them. You, do, you want, do you want me to release him or Barabbas? And what did they choose? They choose Barabbas. They rejected their Messiah. They chose not the kingdom from heaven, not his rule and reign, but they chose the more political, expedient, worldly figure in Barabbas. And we as Christians have an opportunity every day to, to uh, my pa pastor in California mentioned this to me. This is an often a question he asks himself when he's presented with an opportunity of temptation to either satisfy his flesh or satisfy uh, the call that God has called him to to glorify God in his actions and his deeds. And the question he asks himself, am I going to choose, choose Jesus today? The ways of Jesus in this particular instance, or am I going to choose the ways of the way of Barabbas? Am I going to do what's worldly and expedient? Or am I going to do the tough thing and follow Jesus and his commands? And so if you're in Christ this morning, that's my call to you, beginning with my own heart. As I'm presented with temptation, as I'm presented with an opportunity to either choose the ways of Barabbas or the ways of Jesus. May God empower us to choose the ways of our Lord. Glorify him. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. We're so thankful, God, for salvation. We're thankful, Lord, that Jesus went to the cross and died for us, paid the penalty. It wasn't just a physical pain that he went through, but, Lord, your scriptures declare that you poured out your wrath, your judgment upon sin for all who would believe. We can all stand here this morning and say, Lord, that should have been us that paid that penalty. Jesus took our place. And we're so thankful, God. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would help us, enable us, empower us, Lord, to reflect your goodness and your love by walking in the power of your spirit by being emboldened to share the good news to those around us who desperately need you, Lord. Father, help us to be your light. And Father, I pray for myself first and foremost when temptation comes, and it's coming, I know it is. Help me, Lord, to ask the question and to choose Jesus, to choose your kingdom and your ways, Lord, to glorify you in my walk and my life over the things of this world, over the things that Barabbas would be representative of.
of us. Help us, God, to be the church you desire us to be. We ask it in Christ's precious and most powerful name. Amen.